6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, July 28th. I'm Annabella Funk, and this is your KVMR Evening News. Coming up on the California Report, State Senator Scott Wheeler urges California to declare a state of emergency for monkeypox due to the rapid spread of outbreaks. And tonight, the California News Service brings us a look at the U.S. Postal Service efforts to get more electric vehicles into the fleet. The town of Washington will be hosting a barbecue benefit for firefighters on August 6th. And local news will give an update to the status of the Apple Fire in Yuba County and the Bear Fire in Colfax. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. San Francisco State Senator Scott Weiner says time is running out to stop the growing monkeypox outbreak. He wants local and state officials to declare a state of emergency. We have uncontrolled uh, spread of this infection. We don't have enough vaccines. Uh, we have very limited testing, and it's a real problem. And having a formal uh, declaration of a state of emergency. Uh, will give uh, our counties a lot of flexibility. Flexibility around things like testing, vaccinations, services, and resources, all of which can help contain the spread. Gay and bisexual men are mainly being affected by monkeypox right now, and Senator Weiner worries that these communities are being left behind again, like the early years of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. A spokesman for the governor's office tells KQED California is taking this outbreak seriously and will continue working with local health departments to provide care and information to everyone who needs it. In other news, as firefighters make gains on the Oak Fire burning near Yosemite National Park, families are beginning to reckon with the devastation. California's largest fire of the year so far has consumed nearly 19,000 acres and forced thousands to flee. From KVPR in Fresno, Joshua Yeager has more. The Oak Fire exploded in a matter of hours Friday, burning at an intensity and pace that local crews said they had never seen before. Flames chewed through dozens of structures. Among them, Heather and Aaron Martinez's home in the small mountain community of Jerseydale. Over the weekend, the couple learned everything they owned had been reduced to ash. It was gut-wrenching. It's beyond gut-wrenching. I wept for the land. I wept for all the animals and everything. I, everything I see, I see it right now. This, this, whole, this whole mountainside still smoldering. But it's still filled with lots of life and lots of life that needs help. When the fire broke out last week, the couple was out shopping in Merced. Heather Martinez says they didn't have a chance to grab the meticulously packed go bags they kept ready in case of an emergency like this one. All the preparedness in the world did not help us. Jerseydale is surrounded by beetle-killed and drought-weakened trees. The fire moved so fast through the community that no one could save the couple's pets. An emergency worker checking in on the property discovered their month-old kitten severely burned in the rubble. He rushed the kitten to the vet, but it didn't survive. The couple fears their other cats also perished. Knowing that the rest of them probably met the same feet, it's just, I hope it was quick. This is the third time the Martinez's have had to evacuate due to wildfires since 2014. Nevertheless, they're resolved to stay in the mountain community they've called home for 24 years. I'm going to spend the rest of my life up here. I'll give my life to this mountain, to this community, to this area. 
Fire officials say charred forest land left behind by the 2018 Ferguson fire is helping to curb the fire's growth, for now. But if the blaze makes a run around the fire scar, crews fear the explosive growth that produced smoke plumes visible from outer space could return. For the California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager in Mariposa. The Chief Justice of California Supreme Court says she will not seek a second term in November. Tani Kantil Sakauwe announced yesterday that she will retire at the end of her term on January 1st. Here's KQED politics and government editor Scott Schaefer. She was named to replace Ronald George, who had been the chief justice, and he retired in 2010. She had been a Sacramento County prosecutor. Governor Duke Majin, a Republican, uh, decades ago made her an, a superior court judge and then an appeals court judge. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, just before he left office in 2010, elevated Tani Cantil Sakoe to the uh, highest court in California. She was the first person of color, the second woman ever to serve as the state's chief justice. Uh, she's a Filipina, daughter of farm workers. And I think one of the reasons she was chosen is that they wanted somebody who could be collegial, be a consensus builder. You know, if you think about Washington, D.C. and the way the Supreme Court is thought of right now, very contentious, leaked draft opinions, nasty dissents. We don't hear anything like that coming out of the state Supreme Court here in California. And I think that's partly because of Ron George before her, but also the current chief justice as well. You know, she was a Republican. However, you know, when Trump got elected and started talking about rounding up undocumented immigrants, she got a lot of attention nationally. She called out the Trump administration and told them to remove the federal immigration agents from California's uh, state courthouses. And then she left the party, actually. And she became a big advocate for ending cash bail. That was one of her signature issues. She became something of a people's justice in a way. And she said in her retirement statement that she learned a lot, you know, having been a superior court judge, seeing what people go through in their lives, domestic violence cases, that sort of thing. Uh, And so I think she's leaving with a pretty good reputation and leaving the court in good hands. That was KQED politics and government editor Scott Schaefer. Organizers rallied outside the Glendale office of State Senator Anthony Portantino yesterday to call for support of a bill that would put restrictions on the use of solitary confinement. KPCC's mental health reporter Robert Garova has more. The bill is slated to be heard in the California Senate Appropriations Committee next week, where Portantino is chair. The measure would prohibit solitary confinement for people who live with a mental or physical disability, are pregnant, as well as youth and people over 59. Mental health experts argue solitary confinement can inflict serious psychological damage on incarcerated people. Rojas, a formerly incarcerated Compton resident who wished to only be identified by her last name, spoke at the rally. It was probably one of the most horrible experiences in my life. Like, I wasn't even allowed a dictionary. They put, like, blockers in front of your doors so you can't get anything past under. The bill Rojas is supporting would call for at least four hours of -of out-of-cell time per day for people in solitary. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, July 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Coming up, your mail might be coming to you from an electric vehicle from the United States Post Office. The story from Suzanne Potter. U.S. Postal Service mechanics are pressing for more electric vehicles in the fleet as long as the infrastructure to support them is expanded as well. The Postal Service is getting ready to buy about 85,000 vehicles to replace an aging fleet and says 40 percent will be electric. Sal Zapian, motor vehicle craft director in San Jose, is a member of the American Postal Workers Union Local 73. He says it's a big job trying to maintain the existing vehicles, many of which date back to the 1990s. We have our technicians making sure these old, depleted 30-year-old vehicles, trying to make sure that smog, if the catalytic converters are working properly, the vehicles are tuned up properly so we can eliminate our carbon footprint that we're putting into the system. The U.S. Postal Service initially said only 10% of its new vehicles would be electric. The agency will hold a public hearing on the topic on August 8th. Several environmental groups are suing the Postal Service, hoping to force it to prioritize clean air and the battle against climate change rather than solely focusing on the bottom line. Zapian predicts that many postal properties will need to be expanded to make room for EV charging stations. There are some stations that it will be impossible to put charging stations there because there's no room to park the vehicles. You need a special area to put all the access to uh, hook them up to charging ports. He notes some of the stations could be open to the public, which would serve as a way to generate revenue. In June, the Biden administration launched a plan to install 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations across the country. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Now let's take a look at your local news. In fire news, as of 4.30 p.m., the Bear Fire at Bear River Bridge in Colfax has burned approximately 9.7 acres and is 25% contained. Forward progress has now been stopped and all evacuation orders are lifted. The Apple Fire in Yuba County is 50% contained and evacuation orders are lifted. The Yuba County Sheriff's Department has emphasized the importance of staying out of the area if you are not a resident. Today, July 28th, Caltrans sent out a press release alerting the area residents about the start of paving work on Interstate I-80 off and on-ramp at Drum Bay and overnight closures on the main line of the Baxter Overcrossing in Placer County. I-80 motorists should expect delays. There will be full nightly interstate closures between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. Monday, August 8th through Thursday, August 11th for Baxter Overcrossing. Motorists should expect slight travel delays in the area. More from Caltrans, travel delays are continuing through November on Interstate I-80 and Truckee for roadway construction activities. Motorists are advised to expect delays of 15 to 20 minutes when traveling through the work zones on weekdays. However, delays of 25 to 30 minutes are common on Thursday afternoons due to increased weekend traffic levels. Along the westbound I-80, motorists are advised that the central Truckee on-ramp will be closed between 6 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday, August 1st through Friday, August 5th. You can follow construction updates on Twitter at Caltransdist, D-I-S-T, 3. Speaking of Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe Fire issued the following press release. The Tahoe Network of Fire Adapted Communities, Lake Valley Fire, and South Lake Tahoe Fire are hosting a South Shore Neighborhood Leader Meet and Greet for those interested in learning how to become a designated FireWise USA neighborhood. 
The meeting will be on August 3rd, 2022, from 5.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the Lake Tahoe Fire Rescue Training Center. This is a free event and food will be provided. If you're interested, contact Amanda at 530-543-1501, extension 114, for more information. Turning now to your local weather and the AQI Air Quality Index. For those in Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight is mostly clear with a low around 68. Friday will be sunny and hot with a high near 97. AQI in Grass Valley in Nevada City is good with an AQI of 0. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight is mostly clear with a low around 57. Friday is sunny skies with a high near 90. The AQI in Truckee is good at 40. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight is mostly clear with a low around 62. Friday will be sunny and hot with a high near 99. The AQI in Sacramento is good at an AQI of 6. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. On Saturday, August 6th, the town of Washington, which if you don't know is located about a 30-minute drive from Nevada City, will be hosting a barbecue benefit for volunteer firefighters. More on the story from Felton Pruitt. We're talking with Mike McGee. He is the vice president of the Washington Fire and Rescue Auxiliary up in the town of Washington. Now, you guys are putting on a, a barbecue benefit for the volunteer firefighters on August 6th. Mike, why don't you tell us more about it? Okay, let's see. Now, the barbecue, we're going to start serving food at noon. On Saturday, we'll be serving until 6 p.m. We are having assorted raffles. That'll be determined at the end of the day after 6 p.m. We have some gold jewelry being donated. We have two quilts, a ceiling fan, and I'm also sure that we have some donations from our local campgrounds for people, and we're doing a combination of a silent auction and a raffle. Very good. Now, how would people get tickets for this? You can buy them on the day of the event, or if you're in town, you can go to the restaurant. You can go to any one of the stores in town, and you can buy them. And this is happening at the Washington Hotel? No, sir. This oh. is taking place at the Washington fi- at the fire station. Okay, very good. What kind of food are you going to be serving the folks? We're doing uh, chicken, and we're doing salad, baked beans, rolls, corn on the cob, and water. We're handing out water to everybody to keep them hydrated. Now explain why it's important to support the volunteer firefighters. Well, because basically our department has a budget of less than $10,000 a year. Without this fundraiser here, there's a lot of equipment they are not able to get. And we only have eight, nine firefighters. We cover approximately a 25-square-mile area. And without our assistance, the equipment that we have would be next to non-existent. Because if we bring on a new firefighter, we're out a couple thousand dollars right there just to get them geared up and start training them and everything. And the way things have been going the last few years with the drought, this is certainly one of the most important things people can take care of, is keeping the firefighters well-stocked. Yes, 
so. And after 33 years of being a firefighter, I'm really into buying equipment for them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the benefit is Saturday, August 6th, and where is it again exactly? Okay, it's at the fire station in downtown Washington, which is Caddy Corner from the Washington Hotel. So if people want more information, how can they get it, Mike? They can call the fire station. That would be at area code 530-265-4720. That's the benefit barbecue for the volunteer firefighters happening on August 6th up in the town of Washington. Hey, Mike, we wish you all the success and thanks for all the hard work. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate you doing this announcements for us. And now from Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. I had to take one of my cats to the vet yesterday, and while waiting outside, I noticed a sign on their door. It listed other vets in the area and the two big vet hospitals farther away, with phone numbers and distance in both miles and hours to get to them. I was so glad to see this. I've been in the panic of needing to find help for a sick cat late at night or on a weekend and not being able to think straight. A sign like this would have been so helpful. This morning I picked up my mail and there was my county's guide to wildfire safety and emergency preparedness, 32 pages of crucial information and good suggestions. I packed my first go bag five years ago using tips from the web and a very organized friend in Oregon. Now there's a handbook sent to every household in Nevada County about what to take, how to leave your house so firefighters have the best chance of saving it, and more. And believe me, we need it. We're always appearing on magazine lists of cute California towns to move to, and also being named among the top 10 places at risk of burning up. Not in the same article, of course. The point here is the power of helpfulness. As the world changes around us, it's hard to keep up. The pandemic and its home-focused years turned many people into first-time pet owners, and here is a convenient list for them of where to take their injured corgi or emu in the middle of the night. Five years before I moved to town, a wildfire burned from the river canyon to my road, taking out all the forest. You can see where they stopped it by looking at the kind of trees that have grown up since. I've learned a little about this landscape in the decades I've been here, and much more in the last years, especially about fire. Many people I know are leaving the area in fear of fire and smoke, but just as many seem to be moving here from somewhere else to escape crowded cities. This handbook and our warnings don't deter them, but I'm glad at least there's a source of information at their fingertips for when they need to evacuate. And it's when, not if. These efforts of help are a great balance against the loud whirl of unkindness and greed that seems to be everywhere. I'm thinking of how I might add to the positive side. A list of times and distances to the nearest poetry readings doesn't seem entirely practical, since those are always changing location and not everyone gets their solace from poems. Do you have any small fund of information that might help your neighbors and strangers? 
We all do this on social media, especially immediate notices. This road is closed. That coffee shop has lemon tarts today. The power outage is due to be fixed by noon. I'm thinking of something larger and more general. And now that I've asked, I can't conjure up a good example. The hours of all the grocery stores in the county, especially since some have recently changed? What do you wish you had known in the last year? Maybe that's the way to think about this, reversing direction. I wish I'd known what it felt like to get older, but I'm not sure there's a list for that. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, July 28th. Head over to kvmr.org and subscribe to KVMR Podcasts. Support from KVMR comes from its generous listeners and from Briar Patch Food Co-op, building a sustainable and equitable food system since 1976, encouraging listeners to shop local and support a vibrant community, offering curbside pickup. Briar Patch is on social media and online at briarpatch.coop. And from Cayman Engineering of Nevada City, providing structural design services for remodels, additions, and new construction throughout Northern California. Cayman Engineering also offers offers engineering services for the solar industry worldwide. CaymanStructuralEngineering.com Coming up at 6.30 is the Climate Report. Martin Webb discusses recent climate headlines and how new research might link extreme weather and gender violence, as well as predictions on expected climate change impacts to the Pacific Coast Trail. Then at 7 we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Tonight's Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in to KVMR FM Nevada City and KCPC Camino. I'm Annabella Funk, your Evening News Anchor, signing off. Join us Friday at 6 p.m. for another edition of KVMR Evening News.